0: Shame is that nagging little voice that is trying to tell you that you are not good enough. So, how do we tell it to shut up? That's what we're talking about today on The Truth and Our Trauma. Ever sit down to pray and end up thinking about what you need to buy at the store instead? No judgment. I've totally been there. And that's why I decided to create the Ignite Strategic Prayer Planner and Journal. Know what to pray, track your impact, and learn to hear God's voice for yourself. Ignite is more than just a journal. It's a journey. And it's available now on Amazon and at the link in the show notes. All right. So I know I said at the end of the last episode that I was going to be taking a break for the rest of the year. Change of plans. (laughs) I was really reflecting on this topic of shame. And I just felt so strongly that this was something that I needed to discuss here on the podcast before we step into 2024. That for someone and maybe many someones, God does not want you starting another year under the same old burdens. When it comes to my experience with this, topic of shame, it actually culminated around a different new year. It was actually around a birthday. And at this particular birthday, I had invited some girlfriends over for brunch. And one of my friends who was able to make it is actually a mentor of mine. And this mentor is a published author and had a hand in writing some special commentaries in a Bible edition that is for mothers. So she gifted me that year with a copy of this Bible. And so I was so thrilled because I've been wanting to take a look at some of the things that she had been writing about. And about a week after my birthday, she sent a text to me and said, I really sense that you might want to read the section about shame. And when she sent me that, I was like, excuse me? (laughs) Like, I, I had no idea where this was coming from. And I really respect this woman. She is a tremendous woman of God who absolutely has a heart for me and my family. And so I didn't take it as an offense, but I was definitely confused. Knowing that, I decided to take her up on her suggestion and so I find the section that she wrote about shame and I'm reading it and it's a lot about the ways that shame can come out in parenting and this is something that is a topic I love it's a topic I've been personally working on for years and so as I'm reading this really what jumped out to me actually was not myself in the parent seat but more myself as the child and saying to myself oh okay well I could understand how you know this is something I experienced or this was something that happened as I was growing up. And so, yeah, this resonates with the shame that I have felt in the past, but I've dealt with all of those things like that's all behind me, you know, so perhaps this is more of just this, look how far you've come kind of a moment. So my birthday is in August, and I want to fast forward now a couple more weeks into the end of September. And at the end of September, I sensed that the Lord was guiding me towards a 10 day Daniel fast. And so as I embarked upon this fast, I was so curious because if the Lord is going to invite you into something, you know, there's something he wants to show you. And so as I started this fast, I started to see that word shame everywhere, everywhere, Instagram, Bible verses, different sermons. And I'm like, okay, there is something here that the Lord wants to show me. And I thought about that commentary section again. And so I was like, I really wonder if there's something else in there that I missed. So I went back, pulled the Bible out, read the section about shame, and it just hit me in the face, where out of what I think was probably my self-protection, when I first read that passage, I didn't see myself as the parent in those pages. This time around, it was completely different. This time around, I was looking at all of the various things that she was telling us that sometimes we'll end up doing when we're trying to parent out of shame, and I just saw myself in those pages. I saw how I was always trying to use just the right tone of voice, that I was always trying to say just the right words, that I was always trying to make sure that they weren't feeling disappointed. It suddenly became so clear to me that, yes, while I absolutely love my children, I was doing this primarily motivated by shame. I wanted everything to be just so because it hadn't been, because all I could stare at were the regrets. All I could see were the choices that I'd made and the immaturity of my own past and all of the things that led to their childhood being not what I had wanted for them. And here I was now frantically trying to recapture whatever I could in whatever years are left and to make everything just right now because it hadn't been and hasn't been. So I'm in this hamster wheel, constantly in this catch-up mode, just trying to do what I can to make up for what has already been done. But you can't. And this sort of encounter with shame plays out in all sorts of relationships in our lives. So while this was with me and my children, this can happen with any relationship. This can happen with family. This can happen with romantic partners. This can happen in our relationship with God, where shame, whether we are aware of it or not, causes us to hide, causes us to compensate in some other way Because we can't deal with it. We can't deal with the horror of feeling defective and feeling messed up and feeling like we didn't meet the grade. We didn't make the bar that we had even maybe set for ourselves. And sometimes for us, this shame is right there on the surface. We know exactly what it is and we know where it comes from. Sometimes this is something that is a byproduct of what we have done, choices we have made. And we're embarrassed about it. You know, it's, it's from the past that you're not proud of. The maybe relationship that you had ruined, whether by maybe cheating on someone or by gossiping and destroying the friendship. Maybe it's an addiction or a guilty pleasure that you have been underneath or had been underneath in the past. And while you've done what you can to try to move past that situation, it just keeps haunting you. You hide it beneath this facade of whatever it is for you, but you know that you would be absolutely mortified if anybody knew the truth. You wonder if anybody could really accept you if they really knew. And then other times that shame is actually hidden even to us. And this is very often the case where you have experienced some kind of harm or some kind of abuse, neglect at the hands of another person. It's where now, by someone else's choices against you, you feel dirty you feel damaged you feel not good enough not worthy of love and so in this case often there's the tendency to want to perform and want to perfect and do everything just so so that you don't have to feel that feeling of rejection and that disgust even maybe that you whether you experience from the eyes out of someone else or eyes of yourself but that if you could just get it right you could undo all of it and that you would never have to feel that way again Either way, we're hiding. We are not able to be our real selves with people. We're not even able to be our real selves with God. We're not able to be our real selves with ourselves because of shame. We see this tendency to hide. First pop up actually in the book of Genesis when Adam and Eve eat of the fruit and they hide. The first thing they do is they run and hide from God and they actually have to cover themselves now Because they're exposed. And of course they hide because they don't know now what God is going to think of them. They don't know what the consequences are going to be. And I think this is the same thing with us, especially when it comes to our relationship with God. We are not sure what He thinks of us. We're not sure if He's okay with us now. We're not sure if we're acceptable to Him and if He's just going to turn His back on us like other people have. But there always comes a point that any bit of hiding or performing or perfecting or anything that we've done to try to cover over this shame, it eventually stops working. You have some kind of crisis in your life where whatever methods you've been using to manage this shame, by the grace of God, may I add, stop working. And it's because there is another way. There's another way to get past this. There's another way to get beyond these lies and to start living a truly fruitful and overflowing type of life. So how do we do it? (laughs) That's the big question, right? How do we do it? Especially when maybe you've done a lot of work already. Maybe you have done a lot of therapy and you've tried different methodologies. You've tried things like EMDR. Perhaps you have done a lot of work and even still you're feeling stuck. How do we get beyond this as much as is possible for us? It's simple, but it's not easy. We have to face it. We have to face it. In this instance I told you about with my birthday, here I thought I had faced a whole lot of the shame. And yet there was more. And I think that's one of the things that is difficult about facing shame is we are not sure just how deep this hole goes. And so even starting on that journey is difficult. Facing the things that we do know that are, we are aware of on the surface, we just don't even have any clue of how deep the hole goes. But instead of staring at the hole, I think it's important for us to recognize that we're not alone in this and that we can fix our eyes on Jesus with us. It's actually what Hebrews 12.2 says, It says, Let us fix our eyes on Jesus, the author and perfecter of our faith, who for the joy set before him endured the cross, scorning its shame, and sat down on the right hand of the throne of God. Not only is Jesus in this with us, but he has had to endure shame also shame that was not even justified. There is no shame to be had as far as Jesus is concerned. He is perfect, never has done anything worthy of shame, and yet he has encountered it. And I want to hone in for a second on this scorning or despising the shame part, because this is an aspect that unless we dig into the context, we don't even fully know the layers of how deep this goes. And we know on the surface, for example, that the death that Jesus suffered was humiliating, that he was stripped and beaten and hung alongside criminals, that he was given a criminal's death. But there's actually a layer of this that goes even deeper and it's actually found back in the Old Testament. In the book of Deuteronomy, it says that criminals who have been convicted of capital crimes are to be punished by being hung on a tree. And this is exactly the phraseology that is used in the book of Acts to describe the crucifixion, that Jesus was hung on a tree. And the thing about this is that in Deuteronomy 21, it says that such a person who suffers this type of a death is to be considered cursed by God. So Jesus receiving a criminal's death and being mocked and humiliated, how shameful that is is more apparent on the surface. But even to the extent then that all of the Jews standing around him would have seen this as a sign, knowing their Old Testament scriptures, would have seen this as a sign that this was a cursed man, not that he was the anointed one, the son of God. It was declaring the exact opposite of who he truly was. And this is what shame does to us. It tells us the exact opposite of who we are. So where in Jesus's death, here is God on a cross being mocked as a cursed one. And in our shame, the devil telling us the exact opposite about ourselves as well. That where God says we're beloved, the shame is telling us we're unlovable. That where God is saying we are chosen, that shame is saying we are rejected. That where God is saying, you are my child, the shame is saying, you're unwanted. And that where by the blood of Jesus, we are declared to be overcomers. The devil tries to have us believe that we are nothing but failures. And as long as we stay hidden in our shame, because we're afraid to face the truth, we never actually discover the real, beautiful, gorgeous truth that all of this shame, everything that has been attached to you is nothing but a lie, and that it cannot hold up when it's held under the light of the love of Jesus. But when we choose to face it And follow in the example of Jesus who said, I am actually going to scorn this shame. I am going to look it in the face, and I'm going to absolutely declare the opposite. And he declared the opposite through his death and resurrection, through the way that he lived, and that that freedom is what is available to us when we choose to face our shame as well. This is the why so many things that we might try, especially in our logical mind. There's so many things that we might do, whether it's in therapy or whether it's having different mindfulness practices or using positive affirmations, even if they're scripture sometimes that just even engaging only the left brain part of our ourselves is not enough. To tackle this, it's not enough. We have to have an experiential encounter with the love of God. And we're only able to do that when we can stop hiding and when we can allow Him to see us as we are. And if we go back to that picture in the garden, though, of Adam and Eve hiding, we see the heart of our Father in this. Because one of the reasons I think also, too, we're afraid to approach God with these things is the fact that the way the story's been told to us, the way that we have been told about the fall, is that Adam and Eve. Hid, they got caught, they got kicked out. And that's not what happened. That is not what happened. God comes for Adam and Eve. God knew exactly where they were and knew what trouble they were in. He actually knew more of what trouble they were in than even they knew. Because while they had eaten from this one tree of the knowledge of good and evil, there was another tree in the garden, there was a tree of life. And that if Adam and Eve now in this fallen state were to have eaten from this tree of life that granted eternal life, they would be eternally fallen. And God did not want that for them. So he sent them away for the time for him to enact his rescue plan to then bring them back into the garden, into that place of wholeness and shalom that he had always designed for them and for us. He didn't kick them out as a punishment. He sent them away as a protection. He covered them. Death for life, just as we see with Jesus. Death for life. He covered them because he cared for them and he loved them so much. And the same is true for us. So when we bring things to God, he's already aware of them. He knows the depth of it even more than we do. And as he's revealing the layers of this, he's doing it so gently. He cares so tenderly for us. And we can always know that his heart is for good and for grace and for glory to fill our lives, not for us to be humiliated, but for us to be elevated back to the position where he had originally intended for us to be with him. That where again, in Jesus facing his shame, that he sat down at the right hand of glory, that now we in Christ are seated in heavenly places with him. That is the truth. And that is our inheritance. And shame can't change that, but it can keep us from living from it. Okay, this one is for all my overthinkers out there. I used to be absolutely debilitated by intrusive thoughts. Everything from constant worry to just dread of the future, I couldn't make it stop. If you're there right now, I have developed a free downloadable guide to help you get your mind back. It's called Overthinking, Get Out of Your Head and On With Your Life. And you can download it for free right now at uncommonvalor.co. So as we look back at this story of me reading this passage and recognizing all of the shame that I was living out of, the Lord was telling me in the most gentle way, my daughter, I know that you want to fix what's been broken. And you can't. You can't go back and fix the past. You can't. No matter how hard you try in the future, you'll never be able to fix it. But I can. So let me. Don't live from that place anymore. Take your hands off of it. But live into the love that I already have for you. Let it cover you. And let's walk from that place instead any good then that was going to come from me to my children was only going to come through this place of wholeness it was never going to come from the place of shame but i ultimately needed to recognize that it was not mine to fix and that i could trust god with what was going to come next from all of this so as this revelation was coming to me it was also actually at the point of another new year I mentioned that this happened all at the end of September, and that is the time on the Jewish calendar when Jewish people celebrate Yom Kippur, which is the day of atonement, atoning for the sins of the past year and readying for the beginning of a new year. It just so happened also, which is funny because I don't believe in coincidences, but just so happened that. At this time, I was also watching a series on TBN by Rabbi Jason Sobel about the Jewish festivals. And on this particular day that was Yom Kippur, I was watching a special about Yom Kippur. And in it, he talks about the way that the Jewish people memorialize this atonement to prepare themselves to move into a new year. He describes a practice in which Jewish people will go to the banks of a river with a piece of bread. And that piece of bread is supposed to symbolize all of the sin and the regret from the previous year. And they take this piece of bread and they throw it into the river to symbolize that they have thrown this now out, (laughs) that they have given it to God and that they're ready to move forward. So, of course, I sensed because of all this shame stuff, I'm supposed to do the same thing. So I get a piece of bread and I'm thinking about bodies of water that I could go chuck this thing in. And I realized that every place I know is populated. Every place I know to go has some kind of canoe launch or dock and there's going to be people there. And so I'm just, I asked the Lord, like, where can I go? And I just get this sense to go to this one spot where I know there's a rope swing. And it was September by that point, not as warm. And I thought, okay, well, maybe there won't be as many people over there. So I get in my car and I'm driving towards this spot and I hit this T-stop where you're supposed to go right. And I just feel with everything in my body, I am supposed to turn left. So I go. And this is an unfamiliar stretch of road and about a mile up, there is another turn off. And I just sense I'm supposed to go right. So I go right. I don't even know if there's water this way. I have no clue where I am headed. And I drive up the road again a couple more miles and I look over to my left and I see this gaggle of birds. I don't know what kind they were, but I see this gaggle of birds and just beyond them is an embankment. And here sometimes during, especially this time of year where the rain is spotty, I didn't even know if there was water down this embankment. So I keep driving up a little bit and I come to a bridge and I drive over this bridge and it is a river full of water, And I'm all struck at this moment because I didn't even know where I was going. I didn't know if there was going to be water down here. And I just followed this inclination that I had from the Lord and found this beautiful secluded river. And so I find a place to park and I trudge through the grass to find a spot to stand on the riverbank. As I'm looking for the perfect place to stand, which, by the way, I had flip-flops on, which was not a good choice. But as I'm looking for the perfect place to stand, I find what I think will be sufficient. And all of a sudden, this beautiful blue heron that I had not even seen takes off from standing in the water and then flies upstream. And it was majestic, absolutely stunning. And I was like, this is it. This is it. And it was this really neat spot because it was where two different bodies of water, two different streams converged into this one river. And I just felt like I don't even know how meaningful that is, but this feels really meaningful. So I stand here and I have this moment with God where I just have this piece of bread in my hands and I'm giving it all to him. And so I toss this piece of bread into the water and it, just lands on top. I kind of hoped that maybe it was going to sink, but it didn't. It just landed on top of the water. And so I'm thinking, maybe I'm going to just stand here and watch it for a moment. And I just sense so strongly, nope, it's time to go. It belongs to him now. I'm not supposed to stand here and see what happens with it. It's for me to keep on going. And I think not only was that a word for me, I think that's a word for anybody who's struggling with shame. It's not yours to hold on to, it's not yours. For To monitor, to see what's going to happen with it. It's not your responsibility to make up for the things of the past. It's not your responsibility even to fix what someone else might have done in your life. God has got it. It's time for you to give him the broken pieces and see what he can still make out of it. The Lord longs to heal you, he longs to cover over that shame with his love that by the death that Jesus died, you get to encounter. The abundance of life that not only awaits you on the other side of eternity, but that you can grab a hold of right now. And as he takes those broken pieces, dare to believe that there is still a beautiful mosaic that he can make from what remains. It's my prayer for you that after listening to this episode, you can finally tell that shame to shut up. It does not have a place in your head and in your life. And that you can go into this new year truly knowing that you are a new creation. Happy New Year, my friend. Shalom. Thanks for being with me for this episode today. I hope you'll come back again. And in the meantime, you can follow me over on social media and find out about our resources and services over at uncommonvalor.co.